You're listening to the Keep Going Podcast, where we keep going after the heart of God because He's our only hope. I'm Nika Maples. Welcome to episode 49 of the Keep Going Podcast. I thought... For the next five episodes, it might be fun to review my five books. I think this is going to spur me on to write a sixth book because I am really starting to feel it bubble up in me that I want to write my sixth book. So I'm reminding myself the effort it takes to write a book is always worth it because then you get to enjoy for years to come that effort being played out in people's lives. I want to share with you from my first book today, I'm going to read a chapter from 12 Clean Pages. I'm going to talk just just a second about the title of that book. A lot of people ask me, what does it mean, 12 Clean Pages? It's my memoir. It was self-published in 2011 on December 20th. That was my grandmother's birthday, mater- my maternal grandmother's birthday, and I because I was self-publishing and I could pick a day, any day I wanted. The thing that I think is interesting is I picked a Tuesday. I'm so thankful for that because you may not know this. I did not know it at the time. All books are published on Tuesday. They, they are released on a Tuesday. Isn't that a fun detail that no one really pays attention to or notices except a writer and a publisher? So... 12 Clean Pages came out on a Tuesday, but that was just God's grace to me because I wasn't looking for a Tuesday. I just picked my grandmother's birthday. (laughs) Um, So in 2011, that was a Tuesday. And so the imprint label is Bella Spree Books. I started my own publishing company to self-publish my first book. So this is a memoir. And people ask about 12 Clean Pages In 2001, I had written a poem called 12 Clean Pages, and that poem stuck with me over the years, and it was kind of like a poem that encapsulated what I thought my life was about. The reason I called it 12 Clean Pages, I don't even know if I can find that poem right now. I'll try to find it. Um, It's because I had 12 stanzas. There were 12 stanzas in that poem that encapsulated what I believed were like 12 core driving things in my life. And the the title came back to me in 2011 when it was time to, to give my memoir a title. And I had been through several options. I think my first choice was Peace Be Still because I was writing about my experience with paralysis and how God... While my body was being still, God gave me incredible peace, and he told my heart to be still during that time. Then um, that was not well-received by some initial publishers that I submitted it to, so we tried to go, I, I wanted Beneath Another Shade. Isn't that dramatic? Beneath Another Shade. Because I was diagnosed with lupus when I was 12, and you cannot be out in the sun when you are when you are diagnosed with lupus, because it's detrimental to your health. 
it ignites your immune system. That's something you don't want. So I have stayed in the shade all of my life, but I was indicating in my memoir that God, you know, that verse that says those that follow the Lord are in the shadow of the Almighty. So I, I thought, oh, to, to view shade not as a restrictive thing, but as a blessing. I'm beneath another shade, not just a tree, but the Lord. <laughs> um, so I thought about that. And then I went to another title. I just called it Shadow. That's dramatic, too. But it kind of sounds like a mystery crime novel. So that didn't work either. And finally, with the publishers I was submitting it to, one responded. I was like... I'm just going to name it that poem that I used to love that I wrote called 12 Clean Pages. So I named it that. And the publishers that I submitted it to absolutely loved it. And here we are. What does it mean in my book? People ask. Well, because I was diagnosed with lupus when I was 12. Before I was 12, everything in my life seemed like kind of quote unquote, normal and perfect. I loved my life. After 12, it got messy because I was seeing doctors all the time. I was in pain. The list goes on and on. The complications that go with chronic illness compounded weekly, it felt like. And suddenly I was like, what happened to the 12 clean pages that I had? Each year was a clean page in a sketchbook. I, I could have kept them perfect. But God started drawing, the master artist started drawing on the sketchbook of my life. Well, so every page since 12 years old has been a little messy, but it's been with his doodling and his plan. And all of that is glorious. I wouldn't change it. But really, I feel like my life only has 12 <laughs> perfect years. <laughs> and they were right at the beginning. Since then, it's been complex but equally beautiful. So one more note about the title. I would suggest everyone think carefully about the title you choose for your book because this title right here, y'all, <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I have been introduced right before I spoke. She's the author of, and then they butcher, butcher the title of this book. And it makes me smile. It doesn't bother me a bit. It just makes me smile. I'm like, well, note to self, pick a more memorable. Mostly I hear 12 blank pages. She's the author of 12 blank pages. I'm like, let me tell you something. There's 200 and let me see here. There's 279 pages in that sucker and they ain't blank. Took me a long time. <laughs> and so that makes me laugh. Um, what has somebody else said? They say 12 blank pages, mostly. They say, tw I've heard 12 white pages. I'm like, where did you get that? And it's just the whole idea of blankness. When I say clean, people picture a white page, a blank page. But my favorite, this has only happened one time. Somebody glanced down at the intro and they had never seen the actual book. They just glanced down the intro that they were reading before I stepped on stage, or maybe there was a typo, I don't know, but they said, and let me introduce to you the author of tw <laughs> 12 Ocean. <laughs> I'm sorry, let me start again. 
12 ocean pages, Mika Maples. Uh, and when I walked out there, I could hardly contain my laughter. 12 ocean pages, guys. <laughs> that makes zero sense. 12 ocean pages. Okay. Enough of that. I feel like the chapter I want to dive into is chapter 22. Because a lot of people, I I mean, my push in life is to encourage Christians to keep going. And so a lot of people hear that enthusiasm and encouragement from me, and they think that I just live that way. It is a lot of hard work to reset my mind and my heart every morning and focus on the Lord. It's not easier for me than it is for you. I wrote an Instagram post the other day talking about that some days it's hard for me to get out of bed. And people were kind of shocked about that. I'm like, do you not think I'm a real person? So I, of course I'm a real person. If I tell you to keep going, I've had to coach myself to keep going first. So I thought it would be important to read to you chapter 22, which is a low point in my journey because I think people can paint themselves to be heroic in a memoir, and I was certainly no hero. And so I want you to hear that in chapter 22 of 12 Clean Pages. This takes place when I was in the rehabilitation hospital. Yep. After I left the intensive care unit after my stroke and then went to a regular hospital room, and then was moved to a rehabilitation hospital where I was seeing therapists all day long. Speech therapists, occupational therapists, which if you don't know, they work on your hands and arms and um, upper body strength. And then physical therapists as well, which that's kind of overall general, but mostly focuses on below the waist, is strengthening your walking and standing. And so, I wrote, My fingers were branches. I rubbed them against one another and felt the scratchy, bark-like skin. It was thick and rough from such little use. After a month in the rehabilitation hospital, I still could not push myself in a wheelchair or brush my own hair. I was facing the wall when Terry, my favorite occupational therapist, came in. I don't feel like getting up today. Come on now, she prodded, a big smile on her face. Day after day in the occupational therapy gym, we had developed an enjoyable friendship. But that morning, it was not enough to get me out of bed. I don't feel like it. I had said the same thing to my speech and physical therapist for three days straight. The progress I had made in the general hospital slowed to a painstaking crawl at Health South, Despondency clouded my vision for the future. My mother coaxed me to eat at mealtimes, but I would not swallow very much. She expressed great disappointment that I was not engaging in therapy, and I rolled back to the wall after a few bites of my dinner. Then it was Saturday. I spent an entire weekend watching infomercials one after another, and the only industrious thought I'd had during that time was to purchase a $500 food blender as soon as I could make a phone call. I did not speak except to ask for a drink or to go to the bathroom. 
No therapists were around on the weekend, so I asked my mother to help me into the wheelchair for a trip outside. It was dusk. The gray city shimmered like a pigeon's neck. Steel and glass buildings to the east reflected the lavender, copper green, and pink of a dying sky. For a few minutes, I thought we had the lovely panorama to ourselves. But another man in a wheelchair, pushed by his girlfriend, watched the sunset nearby. Hey, I called out. Hey, what happened to you? I asked as if such a curt introductory question were any less offensive coming from a stranger in a wheelchair than from a stranger on her feet. Motorcycle accident. You? Stroke. I'm Nika. This is my mother, Carol. I'm Louis. This is Diane. His girlfriend pushed him closer, turning slightly to indicate they were already preparing to go inside. The clouds were darkening, and several thick drops of rain fell on our laps. How long have you been here, Lewis? Mother asked. At Health South? A while. We're leaving for Austin on Monday. I studied his upper body while he spoke. Under a red tank top, his shoulders were well-defined. Both arms hulked like cinder blocks. He had fingerless gloves on his hands. His girlfriend was not pushing him for the same reason that my mother was pushing me. His girlfriend only pushed him out of affection as they spent time together. He could have bent steel with his biceps. I did not have the strength to push myself at all. Yet I noticed how his sweatpants hung from the chair like they were empty, and his feet were small and bent. Two white socks were question marks dangling above the ground. Why Austin? His girlfriend turned back to face me as she began guiding him out of the coming rain. The accident severely damaged his spinal cord. In Austin, they are doing some new things. Lewis is going to walk again, aren't you, Lewis? She patted him on the shoulder and they rolled away. I do not think he answered her and they did not say goodbye. Clearly, both were on emotional autopilot. We should go in now. Mother said softly. The hoary clouds were still for a moment before tearing open. I was wearing jersey shorts and the rain stung my legs as Mother hurried across the parking lot. Just my luck, I complained bitterly. When I want to take a warm, relaxing break outside that mausoleum of a place, here comes the rain. It's cold. It stings. My socks and shoes are soaking wet now. Even as I was thinking this, I saw the hospital's electric doors opening for Lewis, and I cringed. I knew he could not feel anything on his legs at all. My gaze fell to the concrete involuntarily. It was a pitiful frame of mind. I knew it, and I didn't care. I had received my penultimate chemo treatment in the ICU, and now it was time for my final dose. For two full years, I had dreamt of this triumphant day, but had never imagined that it would come this way. That Monday afternoon, I was too sick to move out of bed, but I was secretly thankful that I had an excuse not to endure another day of physical therapy. On Tuesday, I begrudgingly went to my morning OT session, but I was nauseated and carried an empty trash can in my lap in case I got sick. 
Terry had to wash it out three times in the gym. Finally, she wheeled me back to my room to lie down. I stayed in bed the rest of the day. Now it had been a full week of avoiding the gym. On Wednesday, Terry's assistant came to pick me up for therapy. What you doing staring at that wall, girl? He teased. I'm tired. I don't feel like going to therapy today. You want to talk about it? No. I continued to stare at the wall. Look, I don't think you're tired as much as you're sick and tired of your situation. Would you say I'm on to something? I didn't roll over to look at him. I seen you across the OT gym, moping, and I've been wanting to say something to you. I guess it'll be now. Here's the thing. Everybody needs to mourn when they lose something important, no doubt. But mourning will only get you so far. Mourning and grieving do nothing but move you in a circle. And you gotta come right back where you started. Again. And again. And again. If you ain't careful. Want to get somewhere, you best move in a line, girl. A line. Now get up and get on with your life. Move forward. Why would I want to move forward if I'm just going to stay this way? I said toward the wall. Now, see, that's the part you don't get to know about just yet. You might stay this way and you might not. I guess if you lie there in that bed like that, you're going to make it all come true. You will stay this way. You're going to make what you fear true yourself. He waited, and I was quiet for a minute before I spoke again. Please leave. When Mother found out that I had skipped another day of therapy, we had an argument. I was irate that she was forcing me to continue therapy. I felt I had been through enough hardship and could not see that she was urging me on for my own good. Because I could not speak fast or clearly enough to say to her all I wanted, I swung my fist in frustration, hitting her on the leg. Nika, I will serve you as much as I can, but I will not let you mistreat me. I will not. I swung again, and she moved. The momentum of my arm took me out of the wheelchair. I hurled myself to the floor. Now on my back, I shouted at her to help me back up into the chair. But she walked out of the room, down the hall. On her way past the nurse's station, she alerted them that I needed help. Judy, my favorite nurse, came running. What are you doing, baby girl? What are you doing? Judy said as she lifted me back into the chair. You gotta keep going. You can't stop now. I'm getting out of here. Upright again, I pushed the wheelchair footplates out of the way and slowly scooted the chair with my feet, managing to inch past her and make it all the way to the elevator. I shakily pushed the ground floor button and then scooted out to the courtyard. Another nurse followed me in stealth. Once outside, I heard the text word in my head. You best move in a line, girl. A line. Move forward. Anger beset me. I wanted to rip, to break, to throw something. Pulling at the armrest of the wheelchair, I worked it until I yanked it off. I heaved the armrest a few feet. The small crash echoed up the building's beautiful walls, and the metal skidded across the cement courtyard. When I turned in my wheelchair, I saw the nurse for the first time.
and I bawled my fist, fuming. A deep agony circled me like a storm. Can't I ever be left alone? The nurse shook her head. So I want to encourage any of you who are facing that kind of emotional turmoil. It can be overwhelming when you see your life change so dramatically and so quickly that your heart can't keep up with your circumstances. I want to assure you that you are resilient, that God has made you flexible. You will bend in this situation. You will not break. It's important to me that you see what I went through, that it wasn't like Pollyanna every day as I went through the difficulty of my life changing in an instant. I had to learn how to operate through disappointment and find joy in it, to find joy in it. Yes, there's joy on the other side, but I think even that could feel oppressive to you if you think, I have to wait for the joy. No, there's joy in it. There's joy in it. So I want to close with a verse that has meant a lot to me over the years. You've heard it many times. It's from James 1, verses 2 through 4. And maybe you've almost rejected this verse because it seems so it seems so difficult. It begins, dear brothers and sisters, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Let me offer you <laughs> a, one word that shifts the perspective of this verse. I think it is best described in the New Living Translation. Because when we think facing a trial, I'm not finding joy in that. No way. But I want to ask you, could you see it not as joy itself, but as an opportunity for joy? Here's James 1, 2 through 4 from the New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I can tell you that looking back on my life, there was never a time when I could consider a trial that I was going through as joy. But I do now see that they were always opportunities for joy. Because it's your chance, and it was my chance, to get to know the Lord at a deeper level. And when I did, I found that new strength. That has prepared me for this day. I have so many of the skills and comforts and emotional strengths and all of it today because of the opportunities of the past. And even the future trials and troubles that I will go to, I... I believe I will face them better because of what I've learned along the way. Are you able to say the same thing that God has brought you through difficulties and in a way you wouldn't change them? That's how I feel. I wouldn't change the things I've been through. I'm thankful for them because I'm thankful for what God did in me through them. May God bless you in your trials and show you that they are opportunities for joy.
We'll talk soon. Until then, keep going. My guess is 2020 wasn't what you expected. But here's the thing. Our ability to make and meet goals has nothing to do with our circumstances and everything to do with our mindset. I know the best way to wash your hands of 2020, and so let me ask you a question. Be honest. Have you had the same two or three things on your New Year's resolution list for the past few years and there still hasn't been a change? Then it isn't 2020's fault, is it? I know I can help you begin next year with a fresh outlook. And the way to do that is to plan for it now. Tickets will soon be available for the Keep Going Workshop, a spirit-led goal-setting workshop where I can show you the process I use to make and meet amazing goals year after year. This time, we're offering workshop in a box home kits so that you can experience the Keep Going Workshop in a small group of your friends in your own home. Maybe you can even rent an Airbnb and make a really fun memory as you make and share goals together. Go to nikamaples.com and click on events to find out how you can reserve your limited spot. Trust me, you do not want to miss this. Wisdom in this secret heart.